Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Good morning. I hope you're having a great day and welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are working so hard to make coastal Mississippi and frankly, Mississippi for that matter, such a great place to live, work and play. Hey, listen, I have mentioned on my show a couple of times that I lease land um, a little over 2,000 acres in the Mississippi Delta for hunting purposes. I've got great relationships with uh, with one particular family, the Don, Dunn family, up in the Mississippi Delta. And, uh, man, just just absolutely incredible friends. They, they We work together to improve habitat and do all kinds of neat things that will help make the hunting better. I have a little family, uh, it's a little family hunting club, and uh, not not the traditional hunting club, we just call it a hunting club, but it's, it's close family members and some of my closest friends. And um, anyway, we have a lot of time in the Delta, a lot of fun in the Delta. I love the Mississippi Delta. I love spending time there and uh, can't wait to go back. And it's just a special place. Well, the main farm that we leased was sold to a German company for a lot of money. (laughs) I was blown away that I didn't, you know, I was oblivious to the reality that a foreign government could actually come in here and buy critical farmland in America. I was blown away by that. Then I started to do a little bit of research and I discovered that it could be the a German company, or it might not be a German company. It could be some sort of investment group that's that's buying land for the Chinese. Uh, who knows? And I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not trying to make people concerned about the Chinese. I'm actually. I'm concerned in general that any uh, foreign co- country can come in and own land in this in America. So, uh, with that said, and then of course with the tornadoes and all this swirling around that, I realized that I had not met with my friend Andy Gibson in a while, who's the commissioner of Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, and I wanted him to join me, and we're going to talk about this foreign purchase of land issue in Mississippi, an important actually step has been taken to form a study group. We're going to come to that in just a second, but let me, before we go any further, let me welcome Andy to uh, Coast View. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm doing really good. Hey, listen, I've talked a lot about the tornado because, as you know, Mississippians are incredible, resilient people. And after Hurricane Katrina, which I had the opportunity to be a leader in the aftermath uh, as the publisher of the Sun-Herald and then working with Governor Haley Barber on the recovery effort, I have made lots of lots of uh, observations about what is actually in the heart and soul of Mississippians. And too often the narrative from Mississippi is rooted in our historic past. It's not rooted in the in the present day scenario. But when you when you think about what's playing taking place in the Mississippi Delta as we speak, and all the sort of social economic and political boundaries are, are blown down, what you see in the heart and soul of Mississippi is an incredibly inspiring thing, isn't it? It is. You know, we see the very worst uh, when those storms roll through and we see the devastation, but almost immediately you see the, the resiliency of our people and the response not only in the immediate community, but all over the state to come and help and send help and chainsaws and 
uh, water and food supplies and baby uh, diapers and all the things that we all know we need in a time of catastrophe. So we've seen that all firsthand recently in the last week, and uh, and it looks like uh, there's going to be another long road of recovery, but we'll be there with them all the way through till uh, till Rolling Fork and Amory and everybody in between is uh, rebuilt. Well, listen, uh, you're in a unique position because as 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 in your position, when we think about agriculture, people tend just to think about sort of the farmers, you know, the farmers that are that are planting food that, that we eat, et cetera. But you're also talking about tree farms and, you know, massive devastation and trees along the corridor that this this tornado hit. But you know what's inspiring to me, Andy, and you can talk about these aspects, but what's what's inspiring to me, I had someone on my show from, from uh, the Delta in the last few days, and, and what she reported to me was really cool. And it's that farmers were showing up. I mean, the wind had not even hardly calmed down yet. With the thought that some people were pinned in their homes and all this, you know, they're, we're in planting season right now and all this heavy equipment for, with farmers, you know, r- driving them in suddenly showed up and was just helping to sort through it all. That's that's part of this thing that we're talking about. It's part of this resiliency factor that's so critical. But you've seen that, haven't you? I have. And, you know, uh, agriculture has always been the Mississippi's number one the part of our economy. It is number one in terms of uh, employment. And uh, it's number one in terms of the work ethic that our farmers have that, uh, you know, no matter what, uh, you got to get the crop in. Uh, in. You got to get the seed in the ground. You got to tend the the livestock, no matter what. And our farmers, in a time of crisis like this, they know that no matter what, we got to respond and we got to get the job done. And so, I was in Rolling Fork uh, yeah, Monday of last week, uh, witnessing firsthand all the response, both the uh, relief organizations, and we appreciate all of those, but also the local farmers. In fact, it was a farmer who took me and showed me firsthand all the devastation from where that tornado began on the west side of uh, Rolling Fork, uh, southwest, all the way through. And it's farmers who have been uh, coordinating so much of the relief there, uh, even at the same time as trying to get the seed in the ground for this year's crop. So uh, it's a tremendous job. Uh, It's a a terrible tragedy. It couldn't have come at a worse time for our farmers, but uh, we will get through it. We will uh, rise above it and we'll be better for it at the end of the day. Well, you're right, though. Farmers are so resilient. I've had the opportunity over many years, excuse me, to get to know these farmers, so many farmers well. And, you know, they've had to deal with floods and too much rain and muddy conditions and droughts and, I mean, you name it. Um, you know, uh, think about how many tractors they've seen stuck along the way and what they have to do to try to get those out. I mean, they're just, there's no, there's no issue too big that farmers haven't had to be innovative in, in dealing with. So when, when you have something like a tornado and they appear, they are incredibly industrious people, aren't they? They are. You, you know what I noticed, because uh, I was in Rolling Fork that day, uh, the same farmers that I have met with now for years to talk about the, the perennial flooding in the South Delta. It's the same farmers, the same community that has uh, withstood these devastating floods year after year after year. The same farmers who got in their boats and drove across the flood to get to the other side of the field. Uh, these same farmers are the ones that were responding on the ground to help. So, uh, it, you know, just it just it puts a 
exclamation point on the, the reality that uh, our, our people are tough. Mississippians are tough. We, we do, as Haley Barber used to say, we pull our bootstraps up and we get the job done. And we're going to get through this as well. And we'll be standing in solidarity with all the affected communities uh, from here on out. And and I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we didn't have more storms. We just had some over this past weekend up in Tupelo and Pontotoc. Uh, had a tornado in McGee. It was not a major one, but this is storm uh, tornado time of the year. And uh, we're, we're used to it and we're prepared for it and we'll get through it. So when you, you know, again, timber, timber's a big thing. I had I saw a nice uh, reel that someone posted on social media, and, and it was a short video of someone on a heavy piece of equipment looking out over some trees standing, some trees, half of them down, some trees fully down. And the caption read, as a general rule, timber companies don't like to sort of get into a situation like this because it's so hard to sort through it all. Yeah. And and the, sort of the the the, the finale of the of the post was simply that. But we got to do what we got to do. And and it was you know the, the tractor moves forward toward this devastation. But man, you know they've got to try to they try got to try to figure out how to save what they can save in this moment too, don't they? It can be if it can be salvaged, it needs to be salvaged. You don't know how much that tree twisted in the wind, even if it didn't come to the ground or like the pine snapping off. Uh, you, your hardwoods blow over, root ball and everything, just blow over. But you never know, uh, and you really can't tell till you get in there if that tree is twisted, it cracked inside. It, certainly, it, it may not be suitable for uh, for rafters uh, or that type of lumber anymore, but it, we got to salvage what we can. Timber is historically uh, Mississippi's number two product right behind poultry and uh, recently it's been number three because the price of soybeans has gone so high but it is uh not only one of our largest products that we produce as a state both uh, softwood yeah southern yellow pine uh, but also hardwood almost in equal proportions and as i traveled through the area uh this this past week it, it's all been affected and uh that whole area a lot of people planted that counting on it for uh, retirement or counting on it for education and uh, you know it's just not there so we salvage it and then we'll replant uh, and uh, we'll move on but uh, it's 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 definitely a major impact and it always is anytime the wind blows hard you know Andy you know, one of the one of the things that uh, is true and that is that you, you mentioned the price of soybeans that the markets always decided sort of what they were, what farmers were going to plant, but what what we would generally see is a rotation of crops of some sort, and I've seen actually that change pretty dramatically, especially with the with the soybean prices being up high. When we get on the other side, I'd be interested to get your perspective on how sort of the markets and the worldwide situations changing what people are planting, and then we're going to talk about this foreign purchasing of land in Mississippi. That's a big time thing to be concerned about. We'll see you with uh, Andy Gibson when we get on the other side. See Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're visiting with my friend Andy Gibson, who's the commissioner of Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. He's a farmer and a lawyer and a minister and former state representative. And so, you know, he brings you know into these discussions about the rural communities, especially of, of Mississippi, has a unique perspective and stays in touch with farmers. We're going to talk about coming up here in just a second about this farm purchase of land in Mississippi, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show. But before we go any further, I just, you know, this this whole notion of crop rotation, I've seen it just get turned on its head. I mean, we're used to you'd you'd have you'd have corn and then maybe soybeans and then cotton. Now we're seeing we had a lot of cotton, corn last year, a lot of corn last year. Now you're seeing soybeans getting planted all over the place. But how, man, is that that's is this unusual, or do you see these spikes like that over? If you were to go back over the last 20 years, well, I think uh, the reality is there there's still some crop rotation going on. Farmers who have land and they may plant this field and and uh, that crop and the other one in this next year. But what has happened is these futures and the predictions of the prices and soybeans, uh, the price and the demand worldwide, for example, that's what's driving this price increase for soybeans. And that's what took it from number three commodity of Mississippi to number two, surpassing forestry for the first time just a couple of years ago. You also had the interruption globally of, uh, of soybean production due to a lot of different reasons. Uh, and then the Ukraine war and Russia war over there that has interrupted grain supplies. So there's just a greater demand. And I think our farmers have gotten really good and really skilled at, at, at looking into the, the, the future, so to speak, and seeing what that's going to look like. And then uh, I do know that we're going to have a lot less cotton that will be planted this year in Mississippi as compared to other years. We saw those estimates here early on and I'm hearing it everywhere. It's soybeans and it's corn and not so much cotton this year. But I think the farmers who who do have uh, enough land to, 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 to justify it and, and do that crop rotation, it is a good idea because it does uh, replenish different soil nutrients, different uh, crops, put different things back in the ground or take things out of the ground. It's a great practice. But at the end of the day, I mean, our farmers right now are just trying to survive uh, the the double cost that it is to raise a crop compared to just a year and a half ago. The inflationary pressures that consumers feel are magnified for farmers, and we've got to we got to keep the farms going. We got to keep producing our food, our fiber, and our shelter, no matter what it takes. And so I I, I always tell folks, thank a farmer when you see them. But now more than ever, thank a farmer because they are spending uh, twice as much in terms of fuel and fertilizer and all the other ag inputs to raise a crop that hopefully will pay for itself and then have a little bit to live on for another year. Uh, Soybeans is where it's at at this moment in history, and so that's what you're seeing out there in the field. I talked to a, a young man that I know who actually went over to do some support work for the war in Ukraine in Poland, and he sent a picture of driving along an area of Poland on the Ukrainian border. 
and it looked like the Mississippi Delta. Mm-hmm. I mean, everywhere you look were just fields of ag land, even had some shooting houses, you know, here and there. But, you know, you, for people who don't understand this, Ukraine is a major producer of uh, of ag products. And, yeah, uh, actually, yeah go ahead. Actually, yeah. about uh, it produced before the war about one third of the world's supply of grain. And so when you look at that, they were supplying that entire part of the world of the with uh, corn and wheat from their area, from their production. And when that was interrupted, it just increased the demand, including here in the United States, for, for what we have to provide. And uh, it's having a lasting impact. When all that started, I thought that war would be over in a matter of days. I thought, wow, Russia will go in and take this. It's not turned out at all like I predicted. And it just seems to be dragging on. And so those supply chain uh, interruptions are still having a, a, an effect on the entire supply worldwide of our food uh, supplies. And that's impacting prices, and that's impacting what farmers are doing, and they just keep on keeping on. It's just amazing to watch a Mississippi farmer in action. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I leased three separate farms. Uh, th- I did this past year, uh, three separate farms, and one of the farms uh, had about 1,500 acres of other stuff. It's uh, you know bottoms and trees and forests, et cetera, and about 400 acres of ag land. In this particular case, a German company came in and bought the ag land, and it and it started sort of a a, a, a domino effect of issues that I ultimately said, I mean, we could have kept it. We could have kept the land, but I, it just it was becoming too complicated for us. And the other two farms that we had were just too good. And so I you know, renewed the leases at the other two farms, and I did not renew the lease on the main farm. But in the process of learning about this, man, they paid probably $2,000 more for eight per acre than what the going rate was for that kind of land at that moment. And then I thought, well, how do we know for sure that it's a German company? So, look, I'm just kind of kicking it off. You've made your own observations, but why is this something we all need to be thinking about? Well, it's something that is really critically important. Uh, If you go back to the reason that America is the world power that it is today, it's because we are uh, the, the world leader in food production and food security. It is our land that literally is feeding and clothing the world. If it were not for America, the breadbasket of the world, many places around the globe would starve to death. We produce our own food, our own fiber, our own shelter through our timber, but uh, we also produce a lot for the world. So I, that is the core of our strength. And when you see what's <coughs> happening around the world, uh, and we, we got this report in 2021 from USDA that these foreign governments were buying up our farmland, it kind of made uh, everybody's antenna go up, mine included. And I want to, for the record, I am, I am against, 110% against any foreign government owning land our agricultural land that produces our food, our fiber, and our shelter. People fight wars. Russia's fighting a war in Ukraine to try to take the land of Ukraine for the very reason that we're talking about, food production, so we can feed its people. People fight wars to win land, and here we are in the United States letting our, in many cases, our enemies come in here, write a check and buy our land, and then we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to sell to other world's uh, world uh, governments if they own our food production. So we got this report in 2021 of USDA putting out that about 3% now 
of all American farmland is owned by foreign countries. And that does not include these investment companies that are formed, and nobody knows who really is behind the curtain of these companies that are swooping in, paying way more than fair market value for our farmland. Like you mentioned, you saw that report. I've heard of other reports in excess of $7,000, $8,000 an acre for farmland that uh, in a normal market would not bring that. So you got to ask yourself why. And it's really common sense. If if these, if these foreign governments can buy the land and own it themselves and control the production of food, then they don't have to deal with us anymore, right? They own it. And uh, they, they actually can win the, the, the battle for that uh, farm, for that piece of ground without ever firing a shot. The great concern is, although we're concerned about any government owning our land, but the great concern is that our great enemy like China would swoop in here and somehow be behind some of these purchases, financing these purchases. And the answer is, we just don't know who's really uh, controlling these these pieces and parcels of land that are being bought up. I'll give you some quick statistics in Mississippi if you want them. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can't, because I think it's important that the, on this list that Andy's about to share, keep in mind, China. Just keep in mind China. We're going to come back to this in just a second. But right. yeah, share that list. So looking in uh, at, at uh, America as far as who is owning our land, which countries are controlling American agricultural lands, uh, Canada is at the top of that list owning 31%. Most of that is forest land. The Netherlands own 12%. Italy owns 7%, Italy 7%, United Kingdom, Great Britain 6%, Germany 6%. And then these countries that I'm about to mention all hold at least a half a million acres apiece of farmland. Portugal, France, Denmark, Luxembourg, Mexico, Switzerland, the Cayman Islands, Japan, and Belgium. So nowhere on that list is the word China, but we know that China's really good at operating through other countries. I'll give you one example. They uh, will import uh, some of our commodities by making arrangements with other nations to import them there, and then they wind up going to China, for example. I know that to be a fact. In Mississippi, uh, you know, the number one holder of our farmland, forest land, is the Netherlands. And they own over 700,000 acres of woods in Mississippi. Uh, and uh, the grand total for all the land owned by foreign countries in Mississippi today is 2.9%. 2.9% of our farmland owned by foreign governments. So the legislature passed this study committee. We're going to be working on it and get a good report and some recommendations by December 1st. Let's do this with Andy Gibson, the Commissioner for Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. We're going to talk about this important study uh, group that they put together and also his thoughts about why America hasn't really latched onto this as a major, major problem. Maybe it's something we all, all need to be talking about. We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. 
Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Andy Gibson, the Commissioner of Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, and we're talking about this whole issue of foreign purchase of land in Mississippi. And uh, when when we when we uh, went to break, we were talking about the legislature has now put together this study group. We're going to talk about what they plan to do. But what's interesting to me, Andy, is that. This experience that I had with Germany coming in and buying the ag land of one of the farms that I leased was really the first time that I'd ever even heard of this. You know, it, it, of course, I've been around the block a few times. I've been publisher of newspapers, et cetera. It immediately occurred to me that this may not be a good thing. But the other thing that occurred to me was they were paying such a premium for it. I don't blame the farmers who were involved in this for selling. And 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 so, gosh, you know, to speak out against it, you're you're stopping the opportunity for some farmers potentially in the future to get these incredible premiums for their land. And I get that. But to me, my immediate observation was simply about strategic importance of us owning our own land in America. So but it then okay, here I make these observations. And then, like the very first legislative session, that since I learned about this, you guys take it up as an issue. Yep. And uh, so, how long has this been percolating? Well, uh, Congress years ago, Congress passed a law that required the USDA to compile this information and to report it to Congress every, I think, ten years as to how much land the foreign governments of the world own in America. This 2021 report that came out showed that. Although it's been going on for some time, there's a, a big uptick in the amount that's being purchased. And I think it's being driven by the fact that, let's face it, the world population is growing. It's getting harder and more difficult to feed uh, a nation's population, much less the world. And so countries of the world are, are trying to figure out how to get a piece of our vast food production here in America. Uh, our, our food supply, our food production, that I would argue, is the greatest asset that Americans have. We have a lot of great assets and oil and other things, but if you a country that cannot feed itself is the is the weakest country in the world. And so these foreign lands are buying up pieces of Mississippi and Texas. Texas has the most foreign owned land, it turns out. And uh, we're looking into it. The, uh, the legislature created this study committee in House Bill 280, Representative Becky Curry was the author of that. And I'm on that, and we're tasked with getting this data together, specifically Mississippi. I'm already working on it. Uh, the other members of the committee include the House and Senate Agriculture Chairman, the House and Senate Judiciary A Chairman. Uh, the, uh, the, the governor has an appointment, the lieutenant governor has an appointment, and the speaker has an appointment who will be representing Farm Bureau. So all of us sitting around a table will be discussing what this means. There is a fine line. I mean, let's face it, you, uh, the, the people do have private property rights to sell their property. But uh, just like you have zoning in a city, there are, there are some concerns that the city can have or the county could have to put in place some restrictions. We don't have anything to prohibit, uh, in, in most of America, foreign governments from coming in buying up our, our farmland. One thing that we do have in Mississippi that I've already uncovered is we have a law that's been on the books since 1936, I think, that prohibits foreign governments from owning more than 320 acres of non-industrial land. So that's something that's on the books, 
but it's not being enforced. And it hasn't been enforced apparently for decades. So here we are today, about 3% of our farmland in Mississippi turns out to be owned by foreign governments. That's a significant number. It's not a huge number, but we've got to do what we can do to make sure we keep American agriculture American, in my view. That's what I'm bringing to this table at the study committee, and uh, keep Mississippi agriculture uh, owned by Mississippi uh, farmers and Mississippi farm families. So we're working on that. Uh, we are already uh, producing the, the information that's going to be needed to make these decisions, and then uh, we'll be getting that out to the full committee. I would expect we probably would have a first meeting in July, and at that meeting, I'll be making a presentation on what we know today as of the state of the, uh, the, the ownership of our farmland in Mississippi. And, and I make one last point, and I'll turn it back to you. I'm in the international trade business. It's my job as Commissioner of Agriculture to sell our products wherever I can around the world. If, if, if countries around the world own our land and our food and our fiber and shelter, we have nothing to sell them. So uh, uh, that puts me out of a job <laughs> as far as international trade is concerned. We've got to have that right and that ability to produce our own products and then use them for our own needs and also offer them to the world where it's uh, necessary. So you mentioned that the Congress actually established that the USDA would compile this data. And uh, what, what I'm curious about is that over the course of time, let's say going back 20 years, has there been a – do you have data sort of laid out that way, number one? And, and is, has there been a peak more recently in purchasing? Yes. Uh, the, the uptick began about 2015. And I'm looking at the report right now that shows uh, foreign land holdings in America – have gone up by an average of 2.2 million acres per year since 2015. So on average, every year that goes by, some foreign interest is buying 2.2 million. Again, this doesn't include investment companies that we don't know who really controls them. This is just who we know these foreign governments are. And uh, the, so the data covers uh, foreign-owned uh, land and U.S. subsidiary-owned land so that foreign-owned land is about 29.1 million. That's directly controlled by the foreign governments, and then subsidiaries of those governments own another 11.7 million acres. And it's not just farmland; it's also forest land. We talked about timber and the value of that earlier in the show. Uh, in Mississippi, the Netherlands owns over uh, over 700,000 acres of land that are forest land, and uh, it's interesting that all these developments have happened, these increases since 2015, and, and something's going on. Uh, and I think uh, it doesn't take a whole lot more than common sense to figure out how to connect these dots and see what these governments are up to. Yeah, I remember from my publishing days, um, you know, in the newspaper business for most of my career, uh, one of the key companies that we did business with for newsprint, the paper that you read, that the, the newspaper was printed on, was Abbott Tibby Price, and they were out of Canada. And you mentioned that Canada had holding of the total amount of foreign-owned land, over 30% of that was owned by Canada. My guess is that's probably the majority of that is timber. It, yeah, they, in fact, it is. It turns out yeah. to be that. So they, and the other factor that we have to remember is. There are some treaties in place that were put in place some after World War I, some after World War II, 
that actually the United States granted some of these countries the ability to do this. Uh, some of those treaties are old, and they probably had a good purpose back then, but I, that's probably exactly how Canada got in here to do that. I know that there's a treaty that governs the Netherlands' relationship with the United States. So those are bigger issues we've got to look at uh, as we move ahead and uh, you know see how to, how to tackle this. But in Mississippi, uh, I think we've got a pretty clear law. we just got to figure out how to enforce that law to keep you know, thousands and thousands of our farmland acres every year being sold to foreign governments. I had the opportunity, uh, Governor Barber asked me to speak at the Beau Rivage. He was hosting a meeting this year. He was that, that year he was chairman of this organization. And what it was is the seven southeast states and the Canadian provinces have this organization. And what I came to know as I prepared for this dinner speech that I gave, that our number one trading partner and most states' number one trading partner is Canada. So <clears throat> I'm not surprised that there might be a treaty in place that would engage some of this. And uh, that's the kind of thing you say, okay, that's okay, maybe. <clears throat> but some of the stuff as it relates to other countries like China and Germany and who knows who else, it may not be okay. Well, so, you know, there are fine lines here. Somebody's got to get in to sort through all this, aren't and, they? And, yeah, and the world stage is shifting. You saw China and Russia team up last week with the visit of the Chinese prime minister. Uh, it's clear that the, the that they have treaties as well with this, some of these same countries, and we don't know what all those entail. But it's clear to me that uh, the, the, the China, at least, is making a move to become the world superpower in terms of currency, in terms of uh, land, in terms of military might and arrangements with other countries. So I think that uh, this is the right time. We probably should have been looking at this before now, but we definitely need to get this right today as we look at to the next uh, uh, years ahead for America and for our food security. Food security is national security. You can't feed yourself your toast. That's the bottom yeah, Hey, it would be interesting since the study committee was announced. I wonder if there's been a run on selling <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the thought that maybe there could be some governor placed on this at some point. It would be interesting to, to know that. It would be. So anyway, we're talking with uh, my friend Andy Gibson, who's the commissioner of Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll find out what the heck else is going on in his world. Because, you know, if you were to segment out the things he's responsible for, it's a multifaceted role. We'll see you after this. So listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I've enjoyed this conversation with Andy Gibson, the commissioner of Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. It's really good to be able to connect with state leaders from time to time just to see what's going on in their world. And, you know, Andy, one of the things that um, I saw recently, you actually posted, it might have been just in the last day or two, 
a picture of you at this big table meeting with your department heads, a lot of people in the room, but that gives you gives you a sense of there's a lot to say grace over when you're in your role. What what are the kind of things you guys are thinking about these days? Well, that was our monthly staff meeting. We meet once a month, the first Monday, usually of every month we get together and it's all of our division heads, uh, whether we're thinking about the petroleum division, the a regulatory division, consumer protection, weights and measures. We've got a marketing division that works on the international trade uh, projects that we've been tracking. And in fact, I'll be working on this summer. Uh, we've got uh, folks at the fairgrounds that, that do the day-to-day activities over there, the Mississippi Ag and Forestry Museum, and then our Genuine Mississippi program. Uh, we were talking, one of the things about that meeting yesterday or the other day was how we can help further in this tornado response and we've sent a truck loaded down with supplies to Rolling Fork and another one to Amory. We partner with the Department of Public Safety to receive uh, donations from just regular people here at the fairgrounds and then we're trucking them and they're trucking them as well to different uh, folks in need and then we'll be cooking. We have a cooking team that we're sending up to Silver City uh, this week and uh, other places that have been affected. So there's a lot to talk about whether it's agriculture, uh, we've got a Bureau of Plant Industry. This is the time for the seed to be going in the ground. So our folks up at Starkville are working on those issues, uh, fertilizer and uh, pesticide division, uh, agriculture and commerce. And then on top of that, we get to cover some of the issues that, that we deal with on wildlife. We have a wild hog control program that's designed to fight this scourge of invasive and good for nothing wild hogs <laughs> in all 82 counties that our our office administers. We we train farmers how to use these traps on private farm and uh, and on forestry lands. So yeah, we got a lot going on, and we're we're proud of the work we do. Uh, I view that our job is to keep agriculture strong in Mississippi and keep commerce flowing. And uh, whether it's local commerce at the gas pump, diesel uh, pump or whether it's international trade uh, selling our products around the world. We're focused on that every day. That is a lot to say, Grace, over there. There is no doubt about that. You know, you, you know. I know that you have a it's sort of a regulatory role as it relates to gas pumps and you know, other things related to petroleum products in the, in the state, but how much do you think about the price of gas? You know, with, I think about it every day. My, my sticker saying that we inspected this device within the last year is on every gas pump. And there's a number to call for complaints about quality of fuel, about the quantity that those pumps are dispensing. They should be accurate. There's a very uh, low level of tolerance for any inaccuracy. So I get calls. We get calls about fuel all the time. But the one thing we don't have any control over is the price. That's the supply and demand. And, you know, I, one thing that we know for sure. Uh, we've got to have oil. We've got to have energy uh, that produces the gas and the diesel and uh, the uh, the natural gas and other uh, the carbon forms that we have. You cannot raise a crop of food uh, on battery power. You just can't do it. You've got to have oil supplies. And we appreciate all the great folks in the coast that are working to produce that uh, and really all around America. So yeah, we get calls. People ask about the price. If there's a complaint about price gouging, if somebody's really trying to stick it to it, that goes over to the attorney general's office. So we refer a lot of those calls to our friends at General Fitch's office. But uh, we're, we're here to help you. If you get a complaint or see a problem on the quantity 
of fuel or the quality uh, of fuel. Call us, and we'll send somebody there today to check it out. Hey, listen, you probably know Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line in Vicksburg. Yeah. He's, he's on my show on a regular basis. Young young guy in his 30s who's running this company, his family business. Yeah. Major, major, major company as it relates to sort of the inland waterways yeah. of America and moving petroleum products around. But also, you know, a lot of farmers use them to get their stuff done. We had the issue with the low low uh, river last year that he they were battling with. But uh, he talks a lot about, you know, America's independence and that we're not being honest with ourselves about the need for refinery capacity going forward, et cetera. And uh, hopefully hopefully one day as we're coming to the end of our segments together, hopefully uh, one day we'll get right about our energy policy. There's no question that renewables are in our future, but the reality is we've got to have a defined transition plan so we can quit thinking we can get there tomorrow, which is ridiculous. That's right. The, the the policies that are putting, being put in place at the federal level are only causing uh, our, our existing issues to be worse. They're causing prices to go higher. We need more oil than, than, uh, rather than less. And we, ne- we needed it yesterday, uh, not tomorrow. So I hope that hopefully those policies can be adjusted going forward. And uh, we'll keep uh, running the tractors and the trucks up and down the road to make sure products get delivered and products get grown for food, fiber, and shelter. Then when you think about the relationship between Saudi Arabia and China and OPEC just deciding sort of unilaterally to up, uh, uh, up their prices or whatever they're going to do, it's, um, it's troubling. And, and you know, energy independence for America is really important. Again, most Americans get that we have to protect our environment and have renewable energy. But the question is, how do we get there in a sort of a unified, you know, you know rational way, which we're not, we're not looking at it rationally these days. Hey, listen, Andy Gibson's been a pleasure to visit with you today, my friend. Same here. Thank you for having me, Ricky. You have a great day, and uh, thank you all the great listeners out there. We appreciate y'all as well. It's been it's been terrific. It's been, been very very good conversation. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. See you. Take care. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.